This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And this is my attempt at bringing just a little bit of normalcy back into all of our lives. Monday through Friday, Lord willing, we're here at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. And we're here to take your phone calls and answer Bible questions, life questions, um, some of the difficult things you're dealing with. Maybe today we can get real. And if you're really struggling, Paul and I have had a bunch of texts and phone calls, people that are really, really struggling with this. Um, you know, let's talk about some of the things that are real, some of the things that are going on. 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630 uh, you can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. I would be interested in your reactions to uh, worshiping online, not not just Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, but wherever it is you go to church. I'd be interested in, in um, hearing some of the reasons that you miss the fellowship of the believers. So let's dedicate this hour to whatever is on your heart. I'll ask, uh, answer some questions that have been sent in. I'll take any phone calls. But if you are uh, struggling with something, um, let's talk about it. Our first question, it says, Hi, Pastor. I pray you and Paul are well. I'm so missing my church family at Calvary Chapel. Can you please speak on the ministry of Jim Baker? especially in light of current world events. Not sure if you know, but he's selling the food packages for end times spoken of in Revelation for thousands of dollars. He's likened his ministry to the preparations that Joseph made during the time of famine and stated that's what believers should have been doing. I know he was recently issued an order from the FDA to cease and desist for selling drinks that can cure COVID-19. Thank you for your insight. Um, Anonymous, this is, um, um, I think your insight is as good as mine. Jim Baker has been demonstrated to be a false teacher. He has demonstrated that he is a man without integrity. And to take advantage of, now I'm talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord, to take advantage of brothers and sisters in the Lord all for the sake of making money. Well, that shines a light on who he really is. This is a man that should never be near a pulpit. He should never be around God's people. And yet people are still watching. They're still supporting him. They're still paying uh, for nonsense like this. It's just somebody to completely and utterly reject and ignore. I'm I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. You know what I think Anonymous embarrasses me the most about this is that Christians, now we're talking about people who, who with their mouth, lay claim to Jesus Christ. We all have the word of God. And yet we keep falling for these crazy things. My Bible study yesterday that we live streamed, 
And yes, it was still weird. But the Bible study was about the importance of sound doctrine. And see, there's nobody whose doctrine is sound, somebody who has a, a solid foundation in their walk with Jesus Christ. There's nobody who fall over this stuff. And yet, over and over and over, people are falling for it, and it is an embarrassment to the church. No wonder things are the way they are. But uh, as you know, Anonymous, um, Jim Baker is just somebody that we ought to ignore and avoid. Uh, this is his second time of being exposed publicly. He uh, did it back in the late 80s. He was convicted of fraud and did time when we got the obligatory tears and speeches about repentance. But uh, this actually shows you where his heart is. I'm really sorry. What an embarrassment in the world. Here is a question from our mobile app from Stephanie. She says, what are your thoughts on the Truth Project Bible studies? Um, uh, Stephanie, they're fine. Um, you know, uh, I know that uh, R.C. Sproul and Ravi Zacharias and um, Oz Guinness, who I really, really like, Ozzy, uh, Oz Guinness and Ravi Zacharias are, are both uh, men that I approve of completely. In fact, I think I've got a Ravi question coming up. Um, and I think they're okay. I think some of the, depending on the teacher, I think in some situations they're going to be a little more reformed leaning, which isn't pleasing to me. But I think if your doctrine is solid, you can um, listen to them. You can benefit from them. Um, I, I, I always prefer that people would actually spend time reading their Bibles rather than listening to something like that. But uh, I, I don't think... Uh, there's anything wrong with them, uh, certainly not anything worth condemning. So, Stephanie, I think you can enjoy them and benefit from them. Uh, just be discerning, that's all. And that's always my encouragement, to be discerning. Here is a question from... Gotta find it here. Oops, this is from Jay. Pastor Ron, I see the way people are behaving in stores and such, and wonder if this is what the world is going to look like in the Great Tribulation. Also, I'd like to know if God is causing this crisis. Uh, Jay, let me answer the last one first. No, God is not causing this crisis. I had somebody ask me uh, just Friday whether or not uh, um, this was this crisis God's judgment on the world. And the answer to that was no, it's not God's judgment on the world. We know that because we Christians are still here. And we know that God's judgment is going to come on this world. But remember, Jay, your sins and my sins have already been judged. Jesus took the price, or paid the price. He took the punishment that our sins deserved. And thus our sins are completely forgiven and forgotten. What did Abraham say? Is it possible that the God of all the earth would judge the righteous with the wicked? And the answer to that question was no. So this isn't one of those things where God is causing the crisis. Now, certainly, and this is where I'm going to answer the first part of your question, God is going to use this crisis. Like, God uses everything. God uses natural disasters. He doesn't cause them. He uses them. He, 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 he uses economic crises. Doesn't cause them, but he uses them. So, he's not causing the crisis. This isn't the judgment of God. Now, here's what I think God is doing in this crisis, Jay. I think God is shaking his church. Honestly, Jay, we have become lazy in these last days. We've become so comfortable. Whenever you see a people that are comfortable, and American Christianity has been the most comfortable Christianity in the history of the church in some 2,000 years. Well, the church never really prospers when Christians are comfort. I think God is using this crisis to shake the church up. I'll tell you what I see um, with the, the, the new normal, at least for a time. I hope not too long. I see families sitting together watching Bible studies. We got a bunch of pictures people with their whole families together um, sitting in front of the television with their Bibles or their, their um, um, Bibles open and listening to me teach, listening to our worship team. And by the way, I'm so grateful for 
those they make, they're willing to keep using their gifts to serve the Lord. And I see discussions happening. We got pictures of people after the Bible study praying together. That just doesn't happen much in the busy American church. And so I think God is using this to shake the church up and maybe shake some of the bad apples out of the church. You know, when people stop coming and offerings dry up, I think there's going to be people who go on to other things. And because of that, I think we're going to be in a better situation. At the end, you know, a few, you can just ask Gideon, a few who are really committed to the cause is much better than many who are lukewarm. Jesus spoke about lukewarm Christians in his letter to the churches in Laodicea. I think God is using this to shake the church. I also think, and this is the answer to your first question, the way people are behaving, I think crises like this reveal the human condition. And Jay, they reveal the human condition and what we've seen with the way people are hoarding things, the way people are pushing other people out of the way, and the complaining and the grumbling that goes on. I think our character has been revealed and we don't like what we see. This is why we need Jesus. This ugliness, this carnality lives in all of us. And I think once you see yourself, it's like Adam and Eve and they discovered they were naked. I think this kind of crisis reveals our nakedness, our shame. And the result is we start hiding from God. So, Jay, I, not judgment. God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. Now, that doesn't mean bad things don't happen to everybody, including believers. It just means that the wrath of God, when it comes, everybody who's left will know it. They will actually shake their fist at the Lamb of God and curse His name because of the hailstones. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Jimmy calling from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I totally agree with everything you said. So, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Jimmy. I'm listening. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I heard everything you said. I saw your service yesterday. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, I like where I, you, you preach the truth. And... <laughs> I mean, you don't hold back. I mean, you're not in a mean way, but you say it direct and you say it the way it is. The way it's mm. supposed to be. Thank, thank so, you for noticing that, Jimmy. You know, I don't. I, go, I, I don't have a mean. I don't have a mean bone in my body, but but I, I just can't imagine. Uh, we're in a crisis. People afraid. What am I going to do? Hold back the truth from them and. And so it's very important to me to be very, very direct. And, of course, the people that have been hanging around here for a long time already know that. But but um, being direct in love is one of the most important things that we do. Go ahead, Jimmy. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna have to take a step of faith because, you know, I've been going with my, my wife to her church and all this. But it, I, they kind of hold back sometimes. They hold back on some stuff. So I think I'm going to tell you what church it is, but they kind of hold back. And and I, I sit in there and I feel kind of like, like, you know, like I'm not, I don't know, like something's missing. So, um, but because I'm there because I love my wife, but I have to take a step of faith and find a church that really preaches the truth. And the only one I can see right now is you. And I know I'm going to be lonely there, but... Um, <laughs> I know the Holy Spirit will be with me, but I'm going to support your church. I'm going to support your church. I'm going to, because I need to plant my seed in good soil. So, I mean, I, I, I know it's kind of sad right now, but, but I have to, I have to make a move. And I've been struggling with that for a long time. Yeah. Thank you, Jimmy. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll love on you. And I think that's, that's the important thing. Let me say this to, to everybody. Um, um, you know, we, we go through these kind of struggles, these tugs of war spiritually, but imagine withholding the, the truth of Jesus Christ or only 
preaching the good things and not the bad things. Um, at the end of our study yesterday, Paul um, wrote that, that, that he was grateful to God for entrusting him with this glorious blessed, glorious, blessed gospel. And I feel the same way. I feel like I've been entrusted by God with this message. It's his message. It's not mine. I have no right to change it, to, to improvise, to compromise. We have to tell the truth. We have to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth in love. And then we're going to be able to stand before God and we're going to be able to say, I did what you told me to do. And he's going to say, well done. It doesn't mean that the message comes out well. I mean, uh, I mean, we're responsible for the message. That's all. And we have to remember that it belongs to another. And Jimmy, unfortunately, uh, people forget that in the name of filling seats or in the name of making people feel good or gathering large crowds and uh, it's just a really, really sad thing. I'll look forward to seeing you, Jimmy. I, I hope things get back to normal pretty quickly. It's pretty bleak being away from our church body. Jimmy, thank you. God bless. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, Teresa wants to know, why did Jesus say that he came to divide families instead of bringing them together? Um, Teresa, it, it's a very important thing. You remember Jesus' mother and his brother and his sisters. I want to say that again. Jesus had brothers and sisters. That means Mary had other children after Jesus. Um, and they, they came to take control of him because they thought he was out of his mind. He was no doubt bringing the family unwanted attention. Um, clearly by this time, Joseph, uh, his stepfather, was dead and it would have normally fallen to the older brother to be the one responsible for providing for the family. That's why Jesus said, no, 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 I'm about my father's business. And Jesus is basically saying when they came to get him, oh, your family's outside. Who is my family? These who do the will of God. These are my family. And that's the division that Jesus came to bring. And what he's asking us to do, Teresa, is make a choice. Who's more important to us? What our families think, our blood families, or what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ thinks. And we have to make sure that Jesus is the priority in our lives. Now, the reality is that in any family dynamic, there's going to be people who are offended when you say you love Jesus more than you love them. Oh, you went to that church and you got saved and, and now you spend all your time at church instead of hanging out with us? The answer is, yeah, I don't want to hang around with you when you're drinking and having parties and you're doing things that aren't godly. You don't care about anything that has to do with God. No, I'm going to spend time around the same people who love God the way I love him. And that's the division that Jesus is talking about. Remember, the early church and Jesus' ministry, all of it was for Jews. And for a Jew to follow Jesus cost them everything. Families would cut them off. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't make a, a, a living. That's where the, 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 the economy worked, at, at the temple in the outer courts. And so they were cut completely off from everything. And and Jesus said, you got to choose me instead of my family. If you love your mother, brother, sisters more than me, then you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. So that's what he meant. It meant that, as you've no doubt experienced, Teresa, there are people in your family that are resentful of your stand for Jesus. And Jesus is just saying, okay, well, they're resentful, but what about me? Who are you going to choose? And I think every time we have to choose Jesus. You know, people give me a little bit of pushback when I say this. Paula gets this. I want everybody to understand. But but I love Paula more than anybody in this world. I never dreamed I could love somebody and admire and respect somebody the way I love, admire, and respect her. And yet, compared to Jesus, it's not even close. I love Jesus way more. And that's actually the very best thing for Paula because Paula knows then I can love her with the love of God. Ron's love is kind of crummy and limited. But the love of God is unlimited. It's perfect and beautiful and holy. And so Jesus is just saying, love me more than anything or anyone else. 
And sadly, Teresa, when you do that, there's going to be blood family members who just don't like it. Thanks for the question, Teresa. Here is the Ravi Zacharias question from Paul. Uh, can you recommend Ravi Zacharias's ministry as being faithful? Paul, I really can. I have no problems at all. Uh, I personally really, really enjoy his teaching. It's it's not a pastoral type of teaching. Um, he is um, brilliant. Um, uh, he's a, a wonderful craftsman. He, he does what he does really, really well. And I am uh, a fan. Um, I listen to Ravi as uh, much as time allows. And uh, I, I, I commend him completely. Uh, I also uh, listen to some of the people who uh, are involved in his ministry, Vince Vitale, um, um some of the others that just if they're on Ravi's team, he's out of Atlanta, Georgia, then um, yeah, I, I would have no problem at all. Uh, they are by and large apologists and evangelists. Uh, they're not pastors, um, though they can teach. They're not teachers, and in the process, I think they serve the body of Christ really, really faithfully. Paul, so yeah, I have no reservations. Uh, whatsoever, I would love to have Ravi come out here to San Antonio um, and have a, a get-together. The problem is his uh, speaking schedule is booked up a couple of years in advance at least, and with the return engagements that people always sort of tie him into, it's really hard to get him. It's also expensive. So, um, yeah, I would love to have him here, and I would have no problems if he were to call me and say, hey, can I come out? I'd say, yeah, no, that's not going to happen, but I would love for that to happen. Thanks for the question. Here's one from Timothy. Uh, if a pastor claims to have raised someone from the dead, do you think it's real? Timothy, if it was real, it would be on every news channel, every newspaper, every uh, internet news platform in the world. There would be no conceivable way, none whatsoever, that that would escape public notice. And um, the idea that these over-the-top charismatic pastors, oh yeah, I raised people from the dead. Uh, we just had uh, Francis Chan uh, who claimed that everybody he touched and prayed for, um, uh, in, and I think it was Myanmar, but I'm, but I'm not sure of that, about that, uh, just last week, everybody got healed. Oh, you can't make those kind of claims we have to be credible in this world. And so, no, if a pastor claims to have raised the dead, um, the answer is no, I don't think it's real. Let's go to Converse, Texas, and talk with Jesse on line one. Jesse, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, Pastor. No, I, I just wanted to share with you, uh, you know, my family, too. Uh, we spent this uh, Friday night and then Sunday morning around the uh, kitchen table uh, viewing y'all's live stream. So uh, oh, uh, it was a blessing. Sure. Um, it was a blessing. I, we've got our own our own uh, home church, but uh, I listen to you just about every day coming in from work, and and um, so it was just a blessing. Like you said, we we don't we've never really done something like that, so we took it a cu- couple of pictures of ourselves, but uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just truly a blessing, uh, uh, Pastor. So thank you for for all that you do. So Jesse, my pleasure. Thanks very much. Was the live stream quality okay? Uh, yes, sir. I, 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 we had a couple of issues, but I think it was more on our side. But uh, okay. yeah, no, really good. We enjoyed the, the, good. the worship and, and the word. So both days, yeah, it was no, no no problem at all. Bless your heart. Thank you very very much. It's good to hear. We had um, um, viewers uh, from all over the world, um, Africa, Europe, uh, Italy, um, um, viewers all over the world. It's, it's an amazing thing. You know, we we hate this. By the way, I want to tell you, we absolutely hate not being able to see people and hug people and love on people. Um, but uh, we probably had 20 times as many people who watched the services yesterday as who would be here in our church. And uh, in addition to that, um, uh, when, when everybody can come, of course, the, the numbers on the live stream aren't that big, but uh, lots and lots of people. And, and you just think, I got, I'm looking out at empty chairs pretending that they're full, I got to remember that those chairs really are full, um, and this is just a season. We hope it's just a season. Um, soon we'll be back together. At least that's our prayer, uh, our request of the Lord. 
but I, I think it's a, um, a really, really great thing, especially, and Jesse said they're sitting around the table, uh, what conversation, what an opportunity to pray and talk with your kids and, and a husband and, and wife together um, about something important. So being gathered around the table is really a good thing. Jesse, God bless you. That made my day. Thanks very, very much. Well, we are almost out of time for... There is the music for this half hour. Uh, you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Monday show. Again, I hope this is a little bit of a return to normalcy for all of you. It makes me feel better that I'm here, that's for sure. 340-9585. Donald is asking... Can a believer also be an evolutionist? Um, Donald, I think a real believer can start out that way, but a real believer can't stay that way. Um, to, to, to accept evolution is to deny the entirety of Scripture. If Adam and Eve weren't the first two people then Jesus is a liar. If Jesus is a liar, we're not saved. So again, evolution's been sort of crammed down our throats. So certainly a believer can start out that way. I think probably most believers do. But at some point when the Holy Spirit, and remember, when you believe, you really believe the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, I think at some point the Holy Spirit starts to lead you to the place um, of truth. And so uh, to be an evolutionist is to go in the other direction. And uh, I think that would identify somebody as uh, a false convert. Very important um, question. So no, believe it all, cannot be an evolutionist for very long. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. Hi, you know what? I am so grateful that we got to tune in on Sunday. I just can't imagine how detached we'd be if we didn't get to tune in. So even though I was sitting in my jammies drinking coffee, which I, I felt kind of weird on that. I think I'll dress up next time. Cindy, you want to talk about feeling weird? When I got done, you know, because I only did one service yesterday, the other two on, on live stream were, were uh, just a replay of what we did. And I told Paul, I feel like a lazy bum, you know, I got, like I didn't work a whole day's honest work. So I think yeah, it's great. I was kind of thinking about you, what, what you'd wind up doing, because I was expecting that third, you know, and second and third service. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, he's not going to be doing those. <laughs> That's right. We had, we had lunch in our car and actually a late breakfast in our car in a parking lot. And then, like everybody else in the world, we just went home and, and sort of rested. I actually got to bed last night about 9.30 and got a full night of sleep. So um, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for things to get back to normal. Yeah, What's on your heart, Cindy? Me too. Okay, so I called about, now in Numbers chapter 21, the, the Jews are running around, you know, in, in the desert, and they're getting mad at Moses, and they're mad at God because they don't like the food, and there's no food, and there's no water. So the Lord sent a bunch of snakes to bite them, and a bunch of them die. And then they repent, and they say they're sorry. So then, this is what I'm going to read out of the NIV in chapter 21, verse, I think that's an 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole, Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. 
So Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake, they looked at it, and the bronze snake, and lived. And I just was curious, what's up with that? I mean, it's it, it just, I'm just curious what's up with that. And I'll get off and listen listen on the radio. Bye. Miss everybody. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. I think Cindy had the wrong chapter, the wrong verse, but uh, the story of the, the snake on the pole was, was simple. It, it, snakes are cursed. Uh, it was a picture of Jesus Christ who would be cursed. Um, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, Galatians chapter 3 says. And um, uh, it was just a picture, and, and, you know, the result of their complaining and their grumbling was God released this plague, and, of course, many died, and then the rest of them were all going to die. And they all had the opportunity to look up to this, this pole with the snake on it. And uh, if they looked, they lived. If they didn't, they died. It's that simple. And the picture, Cindy, is so important because uh, if we will look to the fulfillment of that picture to Jesus will live. People that won't look to Jesus will die. So that's all they had to do. Um, gathered the assembly together and all they had to do was look up and they could be spared. They would be saved. So uh, it's just a picture of the ultimate fulfillment of our salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. Oh, she said 21. I have 20 up here. Sorry. I'm sorry. Let me get there. Verse 8. I want to read it. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. See, the whole idea there, Cindy, is choice. God was giving them a choice. And they had to live with the consequences of the choice they made. I was talking with somebody today about consequences. You know, the truth is, we have to live with the consequences of the choice we made. We live with the temporal consequences, but we also live with the eternal consequences. People don't like this typology because, well, Jesus isn't cursed. But remember, the law said everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus was the one who was cursed so that we wouldn't be. We can look at him and live. Thank you, Cindy. Good question. 340-9585. Let's go to a question from Jasmine. Ooh, this is a 21st century question. Pastor Ron, should Christians use preferred pronouns? Now, what Jasmine means by that is if a boy wants to be called a girl, or if somebody who is pansexual wants to... Um, um, rotate between genders. Uh, they, they like the preferred pronouns of they or them. And no, Jasmine, I don't think Christians should use preferred pronouns. Now, we should never intentionally or willfully insult somebody. I'll tell people that you tell me what you want to be called by your name, I'll call you that. But, but I'm not going to pretend that you're biologically a man, but you want to be called a woman. I'm not going to do that. And I think in the interest of truth, we have to do that. So, again, we, we, we don't want to intentionally polarize people. But we also are ambassadors of the truth. And uh, I think what we should do is be, be faithful to that truth. Not that truth, the truth. Uh, William says, Are pastors who accept homosexual relationships rejecting Jesus, are they saved? Um, pastors who accept homosexual relationships, yes, they are rejecting Jesus. Jesus talked about the, the consequence of causing one of his little ones to stumble, and it's not a good picture. So, um, the Word of God tells us what's right, what's wrong. Whenever we advocate for that which is wrong, for that which is sinful, we are rejecting Jesus Christ. Now, we can say his name, and we can claim to belong to him, but remember, it's not what we say or what we teach, it's what we do, how we live. So, William, um, those who are accepting and affirming of homosexual relationships have rejected the faith. Uh, whether they're saved or not, that's between them and God. Um, I understand people can be deceived, people can be wrong. Um, but, boy, especially, you, you use the word pastors. Pastors are really accountable to God. 
And if somebody is a pastor and they're led from the truth, my message yesterday was about sound doctrine. If they reject that which is sound, the word is healthy. Then they get that which is diseased. And if that's the Jesus they've accepted, that's not the real Jesus. And in that case, I would really, really question their salvation. Now remember, we can make judgments without judging hearts. And what I would tell personally, what I would tell a pastor who is affirming and accepting of homosexual relationships, I would question his salvation. I'd want him to question his salvation. Paul says to examine your hearts daily to see if you're in the faith. We've got to be sure that what we're representing is the real Jesus. That's how important it is. So, William, um, I would lean to saying, no, they're probably not saved. They probably don't really know Jesus. Hope they receive the truth. Let's go to Jonestown now and talk with Dale on line one. Dale, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, I just wanted to start by saying how full of hope I was yesterday. We've been watching church services online and uh, getting together COVID-19 response groups to uh, help residents in the community who are in need. And honestly, I've just never seen churches pull in together like this before. Praise God. Yeah, absolutely. So um, now my question is, you were just talking about uh, Jesus uh, becoming a curse for us. Mm -hmm. I've been struggling with reconciling that with... First uh, Corinthians twelve three. Okay, let me turn there. there. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll listen while you're, or while I'm going to it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it says. Uh, Therefore, I make known to you that no man speaking in the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no man can say Jesus is Lord but in the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, you have to look at the context here, Dale. Um, Paul, Paul is writing to a carnal church. And in chapter 12, he sort of breaks everything off, and he's, he's, he's responding to a question that they've asked him. And so he says, about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or another, or somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Holy Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, the context there is the operation and function of spiritual gifts. This isn't a statement about the deity of Jesus or, or, or his being forsaken or cursed by God. He who knew no sin became sin. That's the curse. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. This is only in reference to a church that was out of control, currently operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but, but really not by the power of the Spirit. And so what Jesus is, or what Paul is saying to them, is that when a congregation is together, and, and chapter 12, 13, and 14 is all about the gifts of the Spirit and their use in the church. And so he is going to lay down rules, guidelines, and what he's saying basically is that this is the way the Holy Spirit is going to operate. Now, I, I had somebody once, Dale, use this to me and say, well, well, if, you, if somebody confesses Jesus is Lord, they're saved because no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But we can all say that with our mouth. I mean, we can say Jesus is Lord, I believe, we can say all those things. But only a true profession of faith that, that's, that's granted by the power of the Holy Spirit can enable us to come into the presence of God. Well, the same thing is true in this context about the spiritual gifts. And verse 3 in chapter 12 is all and only about the function of the gifts of the Spirit in the corporate body. So that's what he's talking about. Now, Galatians chapter 3, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Why? Because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And I want to emphasize this. Jesus was forsaken by his Father. 
because he was cursed. God who could have no fellowship with sin, well, Jesus was taking your sin, Dale, and my sin. Well, he was cut off from God, and that is the definition of being cursed. So you have to read the context. One part of the Bible doesn't contradict another part of the Bible. Uh, Jesus is Lord. We can say that by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we can also say it in our flesh, in our carnality, in the same way Jesus Actually, my translation says Jesus be cursed, um, um, not Jesus is cursed. But but that doesn't mitigate against the fact that he is, um, he, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse on that cross. And that was to fulfill, of course, that Numbers 21 passage that he called and asked about. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I didn't think okay. it was a contradiction. I just figured I was too dumb to <laughs> reconcile the two. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Just the context really is important. If you take something out of context, then, you you know, somebody can make it say almost anything. And I know that's not what you're doing, but but um, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, uh, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul completely deflects to another uh, subject, and it goes for three chapters, and it's about spiritual gifts. Dale, if this was a passage of Scripture that, that the church today would really pay attention to these uh, three chapters. Uh, we wouldn't have all the craziness going on in churches that we have. You know, these who say, well, we're a full gospel church. We do these things. Well, if you're really a full gospel church, chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians is in that gospel message. So I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Dale. Appreciate the call. Let me see, I have a call from or a question from Gene. He says, Pastor Ron, will there be a third temple built? And if so, will it be built before or after the rapture? Gene, there will clearly be a third temple built uh, in the Great Tribulation. Uh, one of the, the ways that the Antichrist is going to come to power is that he's going to to have the the original footing for Solomon's temple measured out. He's going to find that it's just outside the the Muslim temple that is there on that mount right now, and he's going to permit that temple to be rebuilt, and it's going to be rebuilt quickly, uh, almost supernaturally, not in a good way, um, but uh, it is definitely going to be built. Daniel chapter 9 says that the man that we call the Antichrist is going to defile that temple by claiming in the Holy of Holies, that he alone be worshipped. That's going to happen at the third year or three and a half year mark of the Great Tribulation. Uh, So they'll build that temple. By the time that temple is built, Jews will be um, uh, providing sacrifices. um, uh, Services will go on. And the Antichrist is going to to cut it all off and demand to be worshipped. Of course, that's not going to happen. So it will be built... But after the rapture, for sure, there will be no temple built before the church is taken away. Again, that's how the man, the, the Antichrist is going to come to power and why he will be hailed as a great man of peace. But yes, there will be a third temple. By the way, um, Gene, there's a, a um, um, group called the, the Temple Mount um, uh, Believers who... Uh, are are supplying um, that temple that is not yet built already um, for for decades they've been collecting uh, all kinds of artifacts and materials and things uh, in anticipation of the fulfillment of that prophecy. The problem is they don't understand that it's going to be built in the great tribulation. Here is a question from uh, a phone call rather from Scott in church Scott, thanks for calling you're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Good to hear you on Hi, the Scott. radio. Thank you. Oh, um, I had a question in my Bible study. Um, I guess it's been a couple of weeks, so we haven't been getting together. Um, and I kind of answered it, but I was hoping that maybe you could um, maybe give give me a little more verbiage or, or better explanation. And the question okay. was about about uh, Old Testament saints. And uh, of course, they went when they passed. They went into Abraham's bosom. And my understanding is is that's because, of course, their faith is in Christ who hadn't come yet. Um, so they were still, I guess their sin was still with them, although it was covered by the, the blood sacrifices. 
Um, but until Jesus died and rose again, of course, that's when he re- removed them from from Abraham's bosom and, and took them mm-hmm. to heaven. Um, so they couldn't be in the presence of God prior to that because they, and this is where I get into this justification and sanctification and all these. Mm-hmm. If you could just kind of give me a good explanation um, about what the blood sacrifice actually did, kind of the verbiage and to help explain that. Um, and then if you kind of understand what I'm asking. Yep, I can. I got that. Thank you very much, Scott. Um, the the um, on the day of atonement, you remember that the high priest would go in uh, into the Holy of Holies. Only he could go there in only one day a year. And um, the sins would be covered over from one year to the next. That's why he had to repeat those sacrifices endlessly uh, every year. They, they, they couldn't take any time off. Uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But it wasn't the forgiveness, Scott, the way you and I understand forgiveness. It was just a covering over. It was as though God said uh, the blood sacrifice on the mercy seat by the, the high priest has covered your sins over. And then again, they'd have to repeat it on the Day of Atonement the following year. Uh, So it didn't justify them from all sin. It simply covered over their sins, just sort of blocked uh, their sins away from God and enabled them to continue uh, to to, um, worship God in a religious fashion. Now, what's really important here is is the the, uh, blood of Jesus Christ didn't just cover over our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ, God, washed them away. There's a wonderful song called, uh, everybody ought to Google this and listen to it, called Bloodstained Pages by Crystal Lewis. And uh, the, the picture that she paints in that song is, uh, you know, the book of our lives, which, which we know is being kept in heaven has all of the accusations, all of the sins that we've ever been guilty. And in her song, she says, you know, every time I'd open a page, it was covered by the blood stains of Jesus. And so the only thing left was to pronounce us innocent of all charges. Now, you mentioned justification and sanctification. Um, a Jew had no concept of those two New Testament doctrines. Justification means, of course, that the minute we believe all of our sins, past, present, and future, are wiped away. Now, it costs God everything, but it costs us nothing. We need it only to acknowledge that we're sinners and repent. And then all of our sins, past, present, and future, all gone. And we stand before the Lord perfect and righteous. That's justification, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how we stand before God. Sanctification is a different process altogether. Sanctification is the the process of working out that perfect salvation. You know, while Jesus sees us perfect, the truth is, God, we know that we've still got issues. We still know that we still sin. And gratefully, we have an advocate when we do sin, the man Christ Jesus. And, And... the process of sanctification is that process of walking with Jesus every day, being made like him, more and more like him every day. I like to think that I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Now, if you take a step backwards, you just say, I'm sorry, Lord. And he says, forgiven, no problem. Let's walk together. And sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And Scott, you'll look back on your life as I look back on my life. And I realize that when this whole process started with me and the Lord, I I understood not the doctrine of justification, but believe me, when I received Jesus Christ that very first day, 29 years ago, I knew my sins were forgiven. I was washed and clean and I felt it. Now in the 29 year since then, I've tried to make my life look more like his life every day. So that's the difference between those two things. Now, uh, one thing I want to mention, this isn't what you were asking about Old Testament saints. Uh, the saints are referred to by prophets in the Old Testament, but whenever, you know, the, the Old Testament saints knew nothing about the New Testament. 
They had no concept of the church. So whenever in the Old Testament you look at Old Testament saints, they are saints in the sense that they belong to Israel, God's chosen people. That's all. They, they, they actually weren't saints until the blood of Jesus covered their sins. And you rightly said, uh, Scott, that that happened when Jesus went down into the abyss and delivered them uh, in victory um, out of Abraham's bosom into the very throne of God. What a m- marvelous moment that had to have been. Great question. Thanks, Scott. I hope that answers your question. I think we're inside... Inside two. Just, uh, just under a little over a minute. Henry says, will we have free will in heaven? The answer no is no, Henry. We won't have free will. We won't want free will. We won't need free will. You know why? Because our lowly body is going to be transformed to be like his glorious resurrected body. That means, Henry, we will have no sin nature. There will be no struggle at all. I can't wait for this day. There will be no struggle at all. None at all with regard to wanting to make bad choices or being tempted to make bad choices, all we'll want is to worship the Lord and sit at His feet forever and ever and ever. No free will in heaven, but we won't need it. Unfortunately, save the free will for our time here on earth. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. This has been the Word to Stand On for Life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And if you get a little bit fearful in these difficult times, Jesus will hold you and tell you it's going to be okay. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh,